This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, I'm kind of pissed at Google because I did a search for Federal Express, because I got to send something out and make sure it gets there tomorrow. And the first link that Google displayed was for a rival service, I think DHL. And then you go down several, it's all stuff that they sell, and you don't get to actual FedEx, which is what Google knows that's what I'm looking for. It's, but they've, they've really kind of just, it's been awful. You got to ignore all the ads. Well, it just so happens that the tech writer for the Washington Post, who, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, the founder and supreme ruler of Amazon, has a tough piece today, or maybe it was yesterday, on this very thing. When you search for a product on Amazon, he writes, you may not realize that most of what you see at first is advertising. Amazon is betraying your trust in its results to make an extra buck. Now, I applaud this guy. And it also shows you that, I mean, there are lots of newspapers that wouldn't allow you to write that about the owner and his other businesses. Uh, it shows you something about Bezos' handoff approach to the newsroom. Amazon might feel unbeatable for service, fast shipping, ease of returns, but as a place to find products, it's becoming a tacky strip mall filled with neon signs pointing you in all the wrong directions. Uh, he says, Bezos owns the Washington Post, but I review all tech with the same critical eye. And he has all these examples, including you search for a cat bed. Amazon will show you the cat beds that are ridiculously expensive. A $389 cat bed. Now, how many people you think who go on Google are hoping to get, hoping to spend nearly 400 bucks? on a little bed for the cat? I don't think so, but that's how they make their money. Hey, by the way, Will Smith was on uh, Trevor Noah. And you know, this was billed as always a very emotional interview, uh, talking about the infamous slap and how all this rage had built up uh, inside him and he just lost it. But it's because he's promoting this movie uh, that is now going to be out to make some bucks uh, before the end of the year <laughs> and maybe be an Oscar contention. Though he can't go there personally to accept it. If he does win anything, maybe that won't happen. But I watched the, the interview and there was a lot of laughing. There were a lot of jokes. Um, I didn't really find it to be emotional at all. There was one time when he briefly took out a, a handkerchief and, and dabbed at his eyes. That went by real quick. And then he's smiling and laughing and joking. He's apologizing, apologizing again and again and again for what he did. Um, but he was in promotional mode as well. He said he understood that some people won't want to see this movie because of what he did at the Oscars. So he's not completely, you know, dodging these questions. Hey, Jay Leno, you know, he had that horrible incident where his face and, and part of 
him got burned, seriously burned, and had to go to a burn center, also on his chest. And I saw a um, headline, and he hit a police car. But it was kind of clickbait, because when you go down to it, he's driving up to the Comedy and Magic Club in Hermosa Beach, California, and... You know, it says his Tesla collided with a police jeep. But then when you read further down, uh, the police officers could be seen turning around as he pulled up in front of the club. He was filmed checking with the police to see if he had hit their tire, with cops saying, yeah, it was no big deal, no damage done to either of the cars. That's a little bit different than, you know, Jay Leno and horrible car crash. Okay. Um, my column today, you probably got a preview of it on yesterday's pod, I uh, hope you uh, were listening. I'm a little hoarse today, so bear with me. Um, was about Joe Biden and how, despite the fact that many Democrats are now lining up behind his reelection uh, or bid for a second term, um, others are really worried about the fact that he just turned 80 and would be 86 at the end of his second term. And I write about how if he runs against Trump, that's fine, because Trump will be 78 at the time of the election. Um, But if Trump gets knocked off in the primaries and he's running against, you know, Ron DeSantis is 44 or any other generational candidates, he's got a huge problem. So you might want to click on that when you're done listening to me. Uh, You know, the Georgia runoff... Senate runoff is one week from today. And in the early voting, more than 400,000 people have turned out, shattering all records. Um, Herschel Walker was not campaigning this weekend in Georgia. Senator Raphael Warnock was. But um, Walker was on Newsmax yesterday. And I got to be honest, it's sometimes hard to follow what he says because he's got a very thick Southern accent. And he was just saying how... uh, how important it is that he win this runoff, even though Democrats will already control the Senate, because maybe they'll get equal uh, distribution on committees if it's 50-50, as opposed to 51-49. That's not going to happen. It didn't happen last time. It's not going to happen now. It is true that if Warnock defeats Walker, and I have no idea what's going on, imagine the nonstop coverage this would be getting if control of the Senate was still at stake. Instead, you know, people are kind of waking up to it now. Uh, if Warnock wins, then the Dems don't have to rely on Kamala Harris to break any tie. But also, it also means that a 50-50 tie means the Democrats can't afford to lose one single Democrat. With 51, you know, Joe Manchin can go off on it. He, he can decide he doesn't want to support whatever the thing is. And the Democrats would still have enough votes. So it is kind of important. All right. Story number one, Elon Musk is throwing down with Apple and its chief executive, Tim Cook, not just for withdrawing most of its advertising spending on Twitter. I mean, Apple's perfectly entitled to do that but threatening, as Musk puts it, 
to kick Twitter off its app store. And here's a series of tweets from Musk, who uh, you know knows how to use that as a weapon. Do they hate free speech in America? Interesting. Who else has Apple censored? Apple should publish all censorship actions it has taken that affect its customers. And he put up one of these polls, which I think you can guess how it'll turn out, asking if Apple supports free speech and asking users whether it should publish past censorship. And he tweeted Tim Cook's handle and said, what's going on? Now, obviously, uh, the story that I'm looking at, uh, Wall Street Journal says that after initially pausing spending on Twitter, uh, many of these advertisers uh, have been shifting their ad spending, the digital ad spending, to TikTok, Google, which, as I reported, has uh, its own problems. Um, Musk got worked up over this yesterday, and he said, replying to somebody, this is a battle for the future of civilization. If free speech is lost even in America, tyranny is all that lies ahead. All right, I got to say that's a little bit hyperbolic. Uh, I don't think the future of civilization is at stake. If Twitter were to disappear tomorrow, we would still have free speech in America. But obviously Musk is raising the rhetorical stakes because he's trying to intimidate Apple into not taking any action against Twitter on the App Store. Why are also says, why are so many in the media against free speech? And I think that's a fair question. This is messed up, says Elon. Apple has threatened to withhold Twitter from its app store, but won't tell us why. Hmm. Um, and then this is an interesting tease for what's going to happen. The Twitter files on free speech suppression soon to be published on Twitter itself. The public deserves to know what really happened. So now that he's in charge of the place and he can get access to all the things that Twitter did under the previous management and he can see a little bit on why or whatever is in the notes and the files on whether there were there was actually stricter action against conservatives and Republicans. Um, he's going to put that out. So it's sort of like you become president and then you investigate the previous president. On the other hand, I'm all for it. You know, if he's got documentation, let's see it. But clearly, Musk is trying to paint Apple as an enemy of free speech and is trying to hold on to the App Store because that's so flipping flippin crucial for any social media app or any other kind of app. If you're not in the App Store and you're not in other stores that, you know, not it's not just Apple, but Apple obviously is the biggest, the most powerful, then your traffic's going to plummet. It's like you don't exist. That's how much power Apple has. So 
Musk has gone public. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Story number two. What I will now call Dinnergate, which is, of course, the now infamous Donald Trump Mar-a-Lago dinner with Kanye West, who was invited, and Nick Fuentes, who wasn't invited, but Kanye brought him along. Um, You no longer have to rely on criticism from never-Trumpers or lots and lots of Democrats who despise Trump or those of us in the enemy of the people profession. Republicans and Republican lawmakers, even extending to the Senate leadership, are starting to speak out. And these are allies who almost never criticize Donald Trump. And I think that part of the reason is that, even again, if you take Trump's word, I do, that he didn't know Nick Fuentes was coming, and he said, I didn't know who Nick Fuentes was, okay. But now we have lots of on-the-record accounts of the fact that he got along quite well with Nick. Remember, this guy is a virulent anti-Semite. He is a Holocaust denier. He is a racist, and he is a white nationalist. And there's just, you don't got to take my word for it, folks. All the videos are out there and the statements that this guy has made. But even meeting with Kanye, you know, who's been, spent weeks spewing vile anti-Semitic stuff, was bad enough. And by the way, Donald Trump has Secret Service protection. So nobody gets in to see him at Mar-a-Lago. Um, without the Secret Service running a check on who the guy is. He was with Kanye, maybe it was an awkward situation, but, you know, it's not like he just waltzed in. So let's look at some of the Washington Post and the New York Times are now getting lots of criticism from Republicans. The House Republicans and Kevin McCarthy have kind of been quiet. We'll see whether that changes today when they go back into uh, session. Okay, Mike Pence... Uh, in an interview with News Nation, said President Trump was wrong to give a white nationalist, an anti-Semite, and a Holocaust denier a seat at the table. I think he should apologize for it, and he should denounce those individuals and their hateful rhetoric without qualification. Um, Arkansas Governor uh, Asa Hutchinson, who's been criticizing Trump, may run in 2024, I hope someday we won't have to be responding to what former President Trump has said or done. It's important to respond in this instance. I don't think it's a good idea for a leader that is setting an example of the country or the party to meet with an avowed racist or anti-Semite. I mean, you had other senators, uh, Joni Ernst, speaking out. And there's more. This is all from the Washington Post piece. Now, some took this other route, like Mike Pompeo. Remember, this guy was Secretary of State. He's clearly gearing himself up to run. 
Anti-Semitism is a cancer. As secretary, I fought to ban funding for anti-Semitic groups that pushed BDS. Uh, we stand with the Jewish people in the fight against the world's oldest bigotry. Well, that's great, Pompeo. But doesn't say anything about Trump. It's, you know, it's kind of the easy shot. And by the way, criticizing anti-Semitism and racism uh, and Holocaust denial is such an easy layup. But Trump has been silent. And meanwhile, he has been truthing about all kinds of things. The border, he's ticked off at judges he appoints who go rogue meaning they rule against him. I guess he thinks that any appointee should have loyalty instead of trying to be an independent jurist. And there's obviously the same at the Supreme Court. He's tweeted about, uh, I shouldn't say that, he's truthed about um, the CNN and its ratings and coming layoffs. He's truthed about Carrie Lake, who lost her race for a governor of Arizona is challenging it. Trump says she should just be installed as governor because of what happened with certain problems. We'll see. And he's truthed about the special counsel appointed by the Justice Department after he declared his candidacy, Jack Smith. Quote, this fully weaponized monster. Special counsel is now a monster. But on the other hand, you'll go to the Senate, and it's not just Mitt Romney who voted to impeach the guy. Uh, West Virginia Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito says Trump should certainly have known who he's dining with, telling reporters, I think it's totally ridiculous to be sitting down with somebody who espouses such views. John Thune, Senator John Thune, the dinner was just a bad idea on every level. I don't know who was advising Trump on his staff, but I hope that whoever that person was got fired. Now, the New York Times takes a different tack. Talking about Jewish, prominent Jews and Jewish organizations that have turned on Trump. Here's Morton Klein, head of the uh, conservative Zionist Organization of America. Said, I am a child of survivors. I've become very frightened for my people. His parents were survived the Holocaust. Donald Trump is not an anti-Semite. He loves Israel. He loves Jews. But he mainstreams, he legitimizes Jew hatred and Jew haters. And this scares me. Jonathan Greenblatt, head of the ADL, Anti-Defamation League. The normalization of anti-Semitism is here. Ari Fleischer spoke out. George Bush's press secretary, a member of the Republican Jewish Coalition said he accepted Trump's statement that he didn't know Fuentes. But he said Trump should have added that had he known, Fuentes would never have been allowed into Mar-a-Lago. But there's been silence from the guy who's got plenty to say on Truth Social. Now, here's more on this. Ben Shapiro, a very conservative podcaster, um, and impresario at the Daily Wire. Fire back at Kanye over the rapper's uh, criticism that Shapiro's Daily Wire was accepting money from Ron DeSantis. And this turns out to be BS. Uh, Shapiro tweeted, a good way not to accidentally dine with a vile racist and anti-Semite you know, don't know 
is not to dine with a vile racist and anti-Semite. You do know. Hmm. Um, he said that there was a screenshot from the liberal media watchdog Media Matters about DeSantis giving the wire, Daily Wire more than $100,000. <laughs> what? Uh, ben Shapiro says is Republican governor paid over 100000 since last year in fundraising expenses to the site, which is sometimes aired commentary supporting DeSantis. DeSantis and his associated PAC have paid actually 110000 for fundraising expenses and list rental. And he said, sadly, you know, in other words, here, I'll let Shapiro say it. To Kanye, he says, sadly, you've trashed yourself. You didn't need my help. It wasn't me. It wasn't the Jews. It was just you. We've accepted far more than that from your opponents. DeSantis has rent, rented our list. Trump has rented our list. Virtually every major Republican figure has rented our list at some point. Stupid argument. I agree. Now, here's another argument I disagree with. New York Times has a piece, story number three, by Patty Davis, daughter, a daughter of Ronald Reagan. And look, Patty Davis is a lot more liberal than Ronald Reagan. And if Ronald Reagan was still around, I don't know that his brand of conservatism would be acceptable to this new crowd. Anyway, she says Donald Trump's like the abusive boyfriend, her ex-husband, who won't go away. In that situation, one would take out a restraining order. Obviously, we can't do that with Trump. So how about not making him the predominant news story? I've noticed, to be fair, he's a little less predominant. She writes in the New York Times, but let's face it, he is still everywhere in the news. I understand that announcing his candidacy for president is news, but does it have to be a front page story? Does the end of his exile from, exile from Twitter have to dominate the day's coverage? Does every move he makes, every ridiculous statement he utters, have to be reported? With each news story, says Patty Davis, with each segment on television, we are giving him the elixir that keeps him going. Attention. There are plenty of things going on in the world that are more important than Donald Trump. We have a planet to save. Russia's still waging war on Ukraine and imprisoning American citizens like Brittany Griner. The West is running out of water. There are mass shootings so often it's hard to keep track of them. What if there was a collective pledge? Oh, this gets into a, like a almost antitrust situation. Among responsible news organizations to take Donald Trump off the front pages to not talk about him every single day. He would huff and puff and try to blow the house down, but no one would be paying attention. Think how much calmer the waters would be. Think of how many other stories will get the bandwidth they deserve. Now, I'm not saying that Patty Davis doesn't raise a point about how Trump plays the media with increasingly outrageous statements. But this is not going to happen. And it shouldn't happen. He is the declared, only declared Republican candidate for president in 2024. He is a former president of the United States. And she wants news organizations, I guess not to ban it, but to dial it down. And it's something that the press has to think about. You know, do we overcover Trump? Because, and certainly in the case of the anti-Trump channels, or I guess I should say the left-leading channels um, on cable, he's good for ratings. 
They go back to, you know, trashing Trump. That's what they like to do. But on the other hand, you can't have a conspiracy among news organizations to say, oh, you know what? We're not going to put it on the front page. We're not going to cover everything he says. Something he says, some things he says don't need to be reported. That part is true. But it obviously shows that she can't stand Donald Trump to say every ridiculous statement he utters, every move he makes, every breath he takes, um, shouldn't have to be reported. That's kind of like censorship. I mean, you could dial it down. That's the debate going on right now. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Story number four. Aren't these protests in China unbelievable when you consider that it's a totalitarian society, that it's a police state run by one man who just, you know, essentially appointed himself president for life? President Xi Jinping. They're out there, um, you know, certainly risking arrest in all kinds of places saying we don't want lockdowns, we want freedom. Freedom of the press, freedom of publishing, uh, at least according to this report in the Times. And this is all sparked by the 100% no COVID, zero COVID policy that she has pursued. And a lot of people are just locked down and they're fed up with it. The economy has not been great because of this. People are fed up with that. They don't want lockdowns anymore. They want a more open policy. Um, they've been shouting, the protesters have been shouting political slogans. Others are saying, well, we got to be more focused on the COVID controls. Um, but here's the dilemma for Xi, and I don't feel any sympathy for him. But if he backs down in the face of these protests. I mean, yes, he looks weak. But beyond that, um, he if he loosens the restrictions, he runs the risk of COVID just overwhelming the country and lots and lots and lots of people dying. On the other hand, if he doesn't loosen the restrictions... Probably there will be fewer deaths, but clearly there's a rising tide of anger against him. Now, some of the protesters are, are nervous. Should we leave? They said to each other. I mean, this is not, I mean, I haven't seen anything like this since Tiananmen Square. And it's, you know, it's hurting everyday life. It's disruptive. It's isolating the country. When you consider that COVID-19 came from China, and there's still a vigorous argument about whether or not it was created in a lab. Um, nonetheless, so the Chinese government is kind of hitting back against the criticism, blaming forces with ulterior motives oh, for linking a fire in the western region of the country to strict COVID measures. I don't know if that's legitimate or not. So China has 1.4 billion residents. By population, it's huge. It's unbelievable what a large country it is. And yet it's trying to stamp out these infections by relying on these 
snap lockdowns. But there have even been people who have, talk about taking risks, who have shouted that she must go. They're actually taking on the leader of the country. Now, I don't think he's in, uh, although it's a, a, a crisis for him, I don't think he's in the slightest danger. This guy will be the ruler of China for as long as he wants to be. But the anger is growing. And it's remarkable and brave what these protesters are doing. And now will there be a crackdown where, you know, cops come out with the billy clubs and tear gas and starting arresting people? That would also not look good for the world, to the world. But, you know, in a way she has no one to blame but himself. Okay, number five before we uh, check out of here. Today, the Senate is going to do what it said it would do before the election and produce enough Republican votes to stop a potential filibuster and pass a congressional law protecting same-sex marriage. Now, there was some action on this yesterday. It was an amendment that I think makes sense as a compromise because the Republicans are concerned about religious liberty. And two of the senators, Susan Collins and Tammy Baldwin, in a joint statement with Kirsten Cinema, Tom Tillis and Rob Portman, say they've crafted this compromise language. Now, in the first test... Republicans had 62 votes. You need 60 to stop a filibuster. This procedural vote on this compromise passed 61 to 35. Okay, so what does it say? It says that any religious organization, quote, shall not be required to provide services, accommodations, advantages, facilities, goods, or privileges for the solemnization or celebration of a marriage. It also excludes polygamous marriages from protection, saying the union must be between two individuals. Uh, Some didn't like this. Republican Senator Mike Lee of Utah said that these uh, religious liberty protections were severely anemic and largely illusory, but they don't have the votes. And all this started This wouldn't even be happening if Clarence Thomas, after the high court, something else that nobody thought would be happening, ruled six to three to overturn Roe v. Wade, sending all this back to the states where the battles continue. It was certainly a major motivating factor in the midterms. Clarence Thomas said that now that we've done this, the court, quote, should reconsider its decisions in, and it listed some pretty well-known cases, Griswold v. Connecticut, uh, Lawrence v. Texas, Obergefell versus Hodges, which is Starovitz right too. The first one is contraception. The second one is privacy in the bedroom, and Obergefell is about same-sex marriage. So I think what happened is, certainly uh, Democrats in the Senate, because the House has already dealt with this, said, holy cow, this could happen. We thought that it couldn't happen with Roe, and conceivably it could happen with same-sex marriage. We got to pass this. But nothing would have happened if it were not for these 12 Republican senators 
a couple of whom, some of whom are retiring, but however they put it together, they felt they could come out and say same-sex marriage should be the law of the land. Uh, it was ruled that way um, by the John Roberts court back in 2015, but obviously Supreme Court can overturn its own precedents as we all have just learned. And therefore, Congress wants to get this done. I was skeptical. I thought, well, if, if Republicans win the Senate, it wouldn't have happened. Maybe it would have happened anyway. But with the Democrats having control and the Republicans, these 12 Republicans sticking to their commitment, uh, unless there's some sort of procedural screw-up, this should pass today. And obviously, Joe Biden will sign it. Well, thanks for bearing with me. Um, I guess this is not the greatest day for my voice, but I speak here from the heart, even when I don't have, uh, uh, you know, that classic broadcast voice. I've got the voice I got, folks, but apparently enough of you, enough of you like this podcast that you have subscribed, that you download it. I appreciate that. For those who haven't, Apple iTunes, good place to do it. Back here tomorrow with more Buzzmeter. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.